Dear friends, we'll be walking through Luke 6 in verses 32 through 36 today. And this is the third sermon on this portion of Scripture. And we're going to finish off this portion of Scripture at this time. And we've spent some time over the past few sermons talking about what the sermon, what the text doesn't mean or placing it into a proper context so we can understand it. I want to spend much of this sermon talking about what this sermon is talking about, what this text is talking about, what Christ is communicating, the ways in which this needs to be applied in our lives. Let's go ahead and read that passage, Luke 6, verses 32 through 36. And Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's that famous Beatles song that declares all that you need is love. And the term love is something that is thrown around every which way in our culture nowadays. The question, though, is how do we understand love? What is the standard that we use in determining what is loving to another person? These verses here give an overarching principle that tells how it is that we are to deal with all people everywhere. How it is you are to deal with those in the community of faith. How it is that you are to deal with those that are in your family. How it is you are to deal with even those who are opposed to you those who are your enemies, how it is that you are to deal with even those who have no ability whatsoever at any point to ever pay you back for the kindness that you have shown to them. The instruction that Jesus is giving here has its basis in the Old Testament. This isn't something brand new that he is bringing out. It's not as though this has never been taught before. It's never been communicated before. The Jews in the Old Testament were told to love their neighbors. Leviticus 19 and verse 18, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And we've walked through this history previously. But the rabbis looked at this and they began to ask the question, Well, if I'm to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? neighbor. Such a man can pick and choose who it is that he's going to love. Such a man can pick and choose who it is that he's going to show kindness to. You get to determine who is worthy of your love, who is worthy of your kindness, who is worthy of your affection. But Jesus really lands this down for us. He, He gives us a basis whereby we can even understand this ethic. This is the ethic of the kingdom. The the overarching principle, where is we are to understand the way that we interact with other people. 
loving your neighbor as yourself. A summary of the second table of the law. A summary of the last six of the Ten Commandments. There's three points that I want to pull out of this passage. The first is the ethic of the kingdom. Jesus is declaring this kingdom ethic. Jesus is declaring the foundation that this kingdom ethic is sitting upon. Secondly, we see a reward of this kingdom ethic. That this reward is something that is eternal. This reward is not something that is tangible necessarily here in this life. This reward isn't something that that you have to be working out yourself. You have to be manipulating your, your lives and other people's lives to try to get what is yours. No, you can trust God. You can trust the Lord who is ruler over heaven and earth. You can trust the Lord who has brought all things into existence from absolutely nothing. So again, you don't have to be God for God. The Lord is sovereign. He doesn't need our help in his sovereignty. And thirdly, we're going to see the very foundation upon which this kingdom ethic rests, which is upon the very character and nature of God, which will be a reminder to us of what the Lord has done to us, how it is that we should act toward others has been demonstrated to us through the Lord, through the Lord and blessing us and granting us life, and most especially through the sending of his Son, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is there that we see, most especially, that God has shown kindness to us, not because we were deserving, not because we were going to pay him back in some way, no, because it flowed out of the very character and nature of the Lord. There's an eternal foundation here within this ethic. It doesn't change. It doesn't change regardless of what point in history you are in, regardless of what place in the world you are living. The culture is not relevant to this ethic. This is the Christian religion. It transcends cultures, transcends ethnicities, transcends time periods because it is grounded. Its basis is in the very character and nature of God. Let's look at that first point, the ethic of the kingdom. We see this in verses 32 through 34. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Jesus asks a very thought-provoking question to the people. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that? To you. It is a man who will look at other people and look at other people and make them the standard whereby he is going to keep the law of God. 
We emphasized this earlier. This instruction that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving here is grounded. It is founded in the moral law of God. It is grounded in our understanding of the second table of the law. This is very countercultural for the people of this time period. You would think that if you are going to love someone, that you should be getting something in return. If I'm going to invest in someone else, I'm going to put my time into that person, I should be gaining something from them. So it would be wise for me to think about it. If my goal is to accumulate possessions, if my goal is to accumulate a network and influence, then I should be mindful of who it is I am interacting with, who it is that I am around so oftentimes, man will use the actions of others to, to justify himself or, or what he is doing. We will justify by comparison. We will also justify our own actions based upon the actions of other people. And loving those who love you is it's this reciprocal relationship. Blessing those who can bless you, giving to those who can give back to you, or giving to those that you can hold an account with that you can keep something over them, that you can have some kind of control over them because I helped you out in this situation, so you're going to owe me now in the future. And Jesus is asking this question. If this is the basis of your love, if this is the grounding of your love and kindness to other people, are you truly loving them? Is this really about the other person? If myself is in mind, if I am at the center of this ethic, rather than the Lord. If my glory and my position and my power is at the center of this ethic, rather than the Lord, am I really showing love to someone else? No. I'm merely doing that which benefits me. I'm merely doing that which is helpful to myself. I'm merely doing that which is going to extend and expand my own power and my own influence. Verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. I want to emphasize this aspect of, of this portion. And we talked about this already, but when he's talking about lending to someone else and getting back the same amount, this is not the idea that I lend to someone and I have no concern over whether or not I'm paid back the principle of what was given to me. This is not a disregard of the Eighth Commandment. We're not disregarding everything we've been taught so far in the Scriptures regarding how it is that we are to handle our wealth and our property. You are to handle your wealth and your property in a way that glorifies God. And so you're not just to give it away merely because someone asks for it or let people borrow things and never return them. That's theft. We're not encouraging people to steal. We're not trying to enable people in bad behaviors. What we're talking about here is the idea where someone is borrowing from you and then paying you back but then that person's going to owe me. Okay, I'm going to help you out in this situation, but I'm going to hold this over your head now and expect something from you later on. 
Now, there's many self-help books that you can walk through. There's many books and studies that you can go through that talk about networking. And they'll tell you, well, if you really want to make it in this particular area, if you want to make it as an actor or if you want to make it in real estate or if you want to make it in investing or, or, or pick whatever field that you want to be in, you need to get yourself around people that are in that field And then you need to do favors for people in that field with the goal of those people doing favors for you in the future. And this can be some reasonable and and helpful guidance if your goal is to get into a particular area and your goal is to work your way into that area. You may need to pay your dues in certain areas. But this becomes sinful if that becomes the way you view everyone in your life. If you merely begin to view people in your life as a, as a way in which you can advance yourself, if you look out to the people around you and try to see who can help me climb the steps of life, who can help me raise my standard of living, who can help me raise my profit margin, that is ungodly, that is, that is covetous, and that, that is not loving. The overarching message here is to love others the way you would like to, to treat others, the way you want them to treat you. That is how you show love to someone else. Is that how you want someone to view you? Do you want someone to view you not as the person that you are, but rather as a step that they can walk over merely to get somewhere else? Do you want someone to look at you and view you merely as how can this person benefit me? And so what happens to the person that's no benefit to you? person is pushed aside. This person is, is merely in my way. I've gone to bigger and better things. I've got things that are greater and more important. And Christ is communicating this kingdom ethic that we are to have an eternal perspective. We're, gonna, we're supposed to have an eschatological mindset. We're supposed to view even now, even the lives that we live, the relationships that we have. The work that we do, all the things that the Lord gives us and blesses us with, we are to view them from an eternal perspective, to view things the way the Lord views things. This idea of being paid back is being paid back almost in equal measure. Someone paying you back for what you have given to them. You know, we we have this, this kind of a idea many times. I, I was in Mexico many years ago on a mission trip, and I, was, I, I had befriended one of the students down there. His name was Marco. We had just kind of hit it off. He wasn't a Christian, but we began to kind of hang out, and we'd drink coffee together, and we'd, we'd have conversations, and we, we'd go out to eat sometimes. And, you know, we'd go out to eat, and one time he went, and he said, I want to pay for your lunch. So he paid for my lunch. Well, I was raised in this country. I know how this works. So the next time we go out to eat, it's like, okay, I'm going to pay for your lunch now. And then we went out, maybe it wasn't the next day, but it was a few days later. We went out to eat again. And then he said, well, I'm going to pay for your lunch. So we went out a fourth time. And I was like, and he's like, what are you, what is this? He said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, why are you paying for my lunch? He's like, well, you paid for it last time. He said, I wanted to buy you lunch. I said, you did. He's like, what is this? I pay, you pay, I pay, you pay. He said, nobody ever actually ends up paying for anyone's lunch. That was the first time that ever crossed my mind. 
I have been doing that my whole life. That's almost expected in this culture. Someone takes you out to eat, they pay for your lunch, so the next time you go out, you pay for their lunch. And we really feel like, hey, I'm taking care of you, you're taking care of me. We're not actually doing anything. No one's actually buying anything for anyone. You're just merely reciprocating the same thing back and forth. I'm not preaching against that practice, but that is an example of how we're not supposed to be interacting with other people, though. We're not supposed to expect that. It's not supposed to be, I am doing something to help this person. That, I, I've seen this over the years. This is, a, this is a congregation. I will even brag on you for a moment. This is a congregation that I have seen care for people within this congregation in such great ways. I have seen you house other people. I have seen you drive other people around. I have seen you look after other people with no expectation whatsoever of getting something in return. I have seen you give to other people in a righteous way, in a good way, not in a way that enables, not in a way that encourages sinful behavior, but in a way that is good, that is beneficial for that person in ways, let's be honest, that's been costly of you financially, has been costly of you, of your time, of normal conveniences in your life. This is a good thing. This is, this is an example of what Jesus is, is talking about here. Giving to others because of what God has given to you. I mean, what does it say? What does it say if I'm merely loving and kind to someone because they are just like me or because I, I, they're going to benefit me in some way? That's what Jesus says. Even sinners do this. Even, sin, even, even people who aren't Christians, even people that don't claim to be followers of God will do that. They will benefit other people when it benefits them. There is a difference here. For you, dear friends, you are in Christ. This is the moral law of God. This is an expectation for all people everywhere. But dear Christians, you are new. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are a new person. You aren't what you were before. Why would we strive to be content merely with what we were prior to our conversion? This is self-serving. This is not loving. This is not how the Lord has treated us. Some of the most evil people that have ever existed in the history of the world have been kind to those who were kind to them. Ponder that. Some of the most evil people that have ever existed. There's an incredible book that was written many years ago called Ordinary Men. I probably referenced it before, but it talks about these, the, these Nazi soldiers that worked in the concentration camp, and it talks about the ways in which they would go home, they would care for their families, they would watch after their families, they lived very normal lives, but then they would go to work. They would operate concentration camps with all the atrocities that were going on in there, and they just called them ordinary men, just going to work for the day. Just like someone going into a factory, someone going in to sell insurance. These men were going in and they were working in a concentration camp. I tell you, you could walk through these men's lives and you could find ways in which they were kind to people that were kind to him. Some of these men probably went to church. They were kind to people. I'm not saying they were Christians. Don't sound bite me on that. But 
They were kind to people that were kind to them. That is not our standard. Our standard is not mere reciprocation. What benefit is it for you? There's going to be a great accounting one day. You, you know that, dear friends. The Lord is going to make an account of all that has happened. He's going to make all things right. You may lose in this life certain things. You may not gain back what you have spent. But let's be honest. Our wealth, our possessions, our network, our power, our influence, we don't take these with us when we die. Only what is done for Christ is going to last. You can trust the Lord in this. You can trust the Lord in his word. He has been loving to you. We should be loving to others. This is the the ethic of the kingdom. And secondly, we see, flows right into this. I I kind of got into the second point already, but this is the reward of the kingdom ethic, the reward that you is promised, that is guaranteed, that is this promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. It's so easy to be kind and loving to those who are benefiting you. But it is, it is much more difficult to do that with others that don't immediately benefit you. And there is a great danger in this. One of the things that is helpful is to look at this from an eternal perspective as I have emphasized. There are many that will look at people, they will walk into rooms and they will merely see dollar signs over people's heads. They will merely see how is it that this person can benefit me. You've got to be careful when you're getting into sales. You've got to be careful when you're beginning to, 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 to work into that mindset and even that, that area because you can begin to get so focused on what you're doing in sales that you're not seeing the people in front of you that are mere objects in your way or opportunities to achieve what you desire. We must see people as those that are made in the image of God, those that bear the image of God. Now, one of the things that that, that we'll see sometimes as people begin to get into sales is they'll begin to use even relationships in some ways for the purpose of of furthering something. And there's ways in which this this has happened to me in the past where someone is viewing me not as as a friend, not as as someone that, that they desire to have some kind of fellowship with, but rather someone who is a means to an end. And I had a friend many years back that had given me a call. I hadn't talked to him in a little while, and he gave me a call. He was a friend that was always had something going on. There's always the next thing that he was going to get into, the next business that he was going to get into, the next thing that he was going to do. And he was always telling me about all of this money that he was going to make and the money that the other people were making that were in these businesses with him. And he gave me a call one day, answered the phone, and I was like, hey, how's it going? And we began to talk, and how are you doing? How are your parents? How's this? How's that? And then he goes, okay, well, hey, since I got you on the line, 
we were about to start a conference call with this new business that I'm a part of, and I wanted to tell you about how it's so beneficial to me, and I just wanted to share this with you so I could bless you as well. And then there was a click back in the, we used to have that. So those of y'all that weren't around then used to be able to push the, the hang up button on your phone and then it would go to more of a conference line if you had other people on the other line. And here I was on a conference call with like 15 people. I only knew one of them. And I tell you, I, I, felt, I felt so cheap at that time. I, here it was, I had someone that called me and this person began to speak to me, began to ask me how I was doing, and I was genuinely talking to him, and I was happy to talk to him. And The whole purpose in the conversation was merely to bring me into this so-called business that he was in, which of course, which of course was going to require a small investment, but yet I could go and bring other people in myself, and then I would be able to, you know, support myself in this and make all kinds of of money as he was supposedly doing. This has happened in other times as well. And I think this is an issue that, that, that's happened more times than it should have, and that is where someone will use hospitality for this purpose. Someone will invite people over to their home, and it's nice to be invited into someone's home, and you come into someone's home, and you think, oh, this person just wants to hang out with me. They just want to be around my family. And then you begin to notice the conversation keeps being upon a certain area keep talking about health or talking about money or keep going back. And then suddenly, there's a sales presentation. Here I am. I thought I was coming to dinner with you. I thought my family was coming to hang out with you. No, this was merely a sales presentation. It's just fine to sell things to your friends. But you need to let them know what you're doing. You don't invite someone over. You don't use people as a means to an end? No. The Lord says in Romans 12 and verse 9, let love be genuine. It must be genuine. It, it must not be a love that is merely sitting back, evaluating how other people are going to benefit you and help you. Help you, those that have that come along, and we, we've seen them over the years that will come along, and they merely look at a congregation. You can almost see them shopping congregations. You talk to that person, it doesn't take long. They begin to almost give you a sales pitch as to what they are in, what they are trying to promote, what they are trying to sell. It's not the purpose of the Lord's Day. That's not why we gather on the Lord's Day. Praise God for Christian business people. They can bless the church that we can go to that we can depend upon. We will definitely call upon our Christian brothers and sisters in these areas, but to seek out a church for the purpose of, of expanding your own business or to gather there on the Lord's Day and merely look at the people of God and gathering there and try to imagine how is it I can expand my own wealth, my own business through the people that are here. Not the reason for which we are gathered. Love must be genuine. And the genuineness of this love seeks to do good for other people, seeks to show kindness and love to other people for their good, not for our benefit. You will be benefited greatly in this life if you are showing love and kindness to other people. There will be many benefits that you gain. But these illustrations I've even given here don't even begin to get to the level of what Jesus is calling here. Jesus here 
is commanding us to love our enemies. Not just to love people in a way whereby we, we, we gain something by them. Not, that, that's not the way that we should love them. Not just to love people in a way that are similar to us, that are easy to get along with, but to love people even that are opposed to us. It says, love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. All the ways in which we have fallen into that category. The ways in which we have fallen into the category of being ungrateful and evil. This is where we began. This is where we started. Paul unpacks this in Romans chapter 3. Those of us who were not good, those of us who were not even seeking after the Lord. Or did the Lord merely give to us what we deserved? Did the Lord merely interact with us in a way that was beneficial to him? What have we given to the Lord? And think of this as far as evangelism, of the ways that we could name. You want to see a beautiful story. Look into the story of the martyrdom of Nate Saint and the ways in which the Lord used even that martyrdom to raise up a church there in Ecuador amongst that people. This family whose father had been murdered by these, this, this cannibalistic tribe And they went back down and they began to minister to that people. And the Lord saved them. Brought some of these people to life. A church was planted amongst them. Lives were changed. Generationally, lives were changed in this culture. Consider how the kindness and love of God has, has affected us. Romans 2 and verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance of his patience, not knowing that kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God has shown us kindness. God has shown us kindness. God has shown us love. God has given to us what we deserved not. We are the benefactors of this love. We, we, we are the benefactors of this grace and this kindness and this goodness that the Lord has lavished upon us, not because of us, not because of, of who we are. The reward that the Lord has for his people is greater than this, all of the wealth of this world. That eternal perspective is necessary. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. And there are many word of faith teachers that have abused this text. That have ripped it out of its context. And, and used it as in some way that if you will just buy their prayer cloths and their oils. And you will donate to their ministries that you are going to get a greater return than the S&P 500 could ever give to you. You may be blessed financially for walking in righteousness in this life. That, is, that happens many times. But, but that's, not, that's not what's being talked about here, at least not primarily. Because you don't have a guarantee that the Lord is going to ever bless you financially in this life. 
because you're generous to someone else. But the Lord, as I said, will make an account. And that reward that you are given is not like a reward merely in this life where you have possessions. How many of you have been there when a loved one has died? And the loved one dies, and you go through the, the, the difficulties of that first moment and, and dealing with the death and the stress of that first moment, and then you begin to deal with, okay, where, where are they going to be buried and where are we going to have the funeral? And then you have that next step, which usually happens after the funeral is over, which is what do we do with all this stuff? The rent's about to come up, and, and we don't want to pay the rent on this apartment or this house, or we need to sell this house, and we need to get all of this stuff out of here. That's what's going to happen with all of our possessions. The moment of our death, someone else is going to take possession of everything that we've ever had. Ecclesiastes gives us a picture of that. But, but that's the reality. It's not so with the reward the Lord has for you. It is grounded there eternally. The Lord will repay you. Those who do righteousness, those who give of service and blessing to others with a way, of course, dear friends, that looks to what they need most. I'm not talking about merely just throwing possessions around. Our goal is to help people in a way, even those who are opposed to Christ, even those who are enemies of God, even those who are enemies of the church, to be a blessing, to be kind to them, to give to them in a way that points them to Christ. And we have this opportunity. We have an opportunity that is there that we can point those to Christ who are not actually in the kingdom of God, those who are enemies of God. Oh, the the great changes the Lord has made. The changes the Lord has made in the lives of of so many. Can, Can we not reflect upon even the Apostle Paul and the changes the Lord made in his life? Enemy of the church. Seeking to put to death those that are in the church. Going forward on the road to Damascus. On the road to go and to persecute the church even more. The Lord made him blind that he could see. Gave him life. Gave him a mind to see, eyes to understand what it is he was doing. That's what the Lord will do to people. Even in our kindness and our goodness, we must be pointing others to Christ, knowing that that is what they need most. That is what is most necessary for them. He's been so kind to us. We who have been ungrateful, we who have been evil, we who in no way are paying back the Lord what he has given to us, the Lord has shown us kindness. And I'd say that thirdly, that that is the foundation of this kingdom ethic. That is the the grounding of this. We see that here in verse 36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It is the Lord and his attributes. It is the very character and nature of God that is the foundation upon which this ethic stands. All of God's communicable attributes could be looked at in this manner. 
Communicable attributes, meaning those attributes that the Lord shares with us. There are attributes that God has that you don't have, you won't ever have, and you can't have. God is eternal. You're not eternal. That's always existed. He exists outside of time. God is omnipresent. He exists outside of matter, outside of space. And that's not you. Those are incommunicable attributes. So there are attributes that he shares with other people. God is kind. God is loving. God is merciful. That shows grace. And we never, we never fulfill it the same way the Lord does. Even, even in these attributes the Lord shares with us, you aren't loving as the Lord is loving in the same way. You aren't kind. You aren't merciful. And we don't fulfill these in the same way. The Lord is the standard. The Lord is the standard. We began talking about by what standard do we define love. The Lord gives us that standard. Love is defined by the law of God. For some reason, people like to put these as though they're opposites of one another, love and law. No, the law of God tells us how it is that we are to love God and how it is that we are to love God other people and Jesus gives his command here be merciful even as your father is merciful very much similar to what the Lord said to the Israelites in Leviticus 19 and verse 2 he tells Moses you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy so just as the Lord is holy you should be holy. That's something that you should strive to. This is repeated again in the New Testament. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, it's worded this way. And he probably said this in, in many different ways and the authors used. And, you know, they, this isn't the totality of what Jesus preached in the sermon. But Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's the verse that I was pressed on by that Methodist bishop a few months ago when we were walking through the topic of, of perfectionism. And he was arguing for perfectionism. And he said, look, Jesus said here, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why would he say that to you if you weren't able to do it? Well, it's not that you're not able to do it. You're just not going to be perfect as God is perfect. That God is the standard. One of the purposes of the law of God is to show our need of Christ. And Jesus, as he is walking through this Sermon on the Mount, he is, he is, he is unpacking the law of God. He is applying the law of God. And one of the things that happens as he does that is you recognize, I fall short. But that doesn't change the standard. The standard is at the same place. To be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the Lord changes people. And you will be obedient to his law. The Lord will give you the power and the strength. The Lord will even give you the power and the strength to be merciful. To be merciful to those who are undeserving of your mercy. To be merciful to those who have hurt you. To be merciful to those who come from a line of people that were harmful to you or hurtful to you. This is what the Lord has done for us. 
Proverbs 145 verses 8 and 9 speaks of the mercy of God. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That, that is what the Lord has done for us. That is the kindness and the mercy that the Lord has shown to us. This is within God's character and his nature. It is to be merciful, to be merciful and to show grace in a way that is also consistent. That is consistent with his law. That is consistent with his holiness. This is who the Lord is. And we see this. In no greater way than in what the Lord has given to us. That we, as it says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which, in what, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is where we began. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We were born at enmity with God. We were born in an alliance with Satan. We were not children of God. We were children of the devil. We were not thankful to the Lord. We were not loving toward the Lord. We were not kind to other people. We were born naturally covetous, selfish, idolaters. But we see God's mercy here in verse 4. We see the mercy the Lord showed to his people. The mercy the Lord had shown to his enemies. But God is what Paul writes next. Those are two of the most beautiful words in all of the scriptures. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That love it is saying here didn't come from us. It wasn't in response to us. It doesn't say that he saw some glimmering hope in goodness in us. No, no, we were just described as dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world. But God was merciful to us because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you see the mercy that is there? Dear friend, do you see the mercy that is there for you if you will come to Christ? If you will see the ways in which you have broken his law, you have violated his standard. If you will see the ways in which you have not loved others rightly. If you see the ways in which you have not loved God rightly. There is mercy for you there. There is grace for you there in Christ Jesus. 
God is not merciful just for the sake of being merciful. There is a purpose in it. He is a just judge. He is going to bring to account all things. This concept of universalism that is being put forward by so many heretics, this idea that all people everywhere are going to be saved is not a biblical concept. There is no salvation if that is the case. No, dear friends, the message that is communicated in the scriptures is salvation by grace and through faith. You who were dead in your trespasses, you were brought out of that. You were changed. You were a new person. Have you been changed? Is he describing you here in this passage? Or are you one who is under a mercy at this point that God has not given you what you deserve and you are presuming upon his grace, which is what Paul was talking about when I read that passage earlier in Romans 2. Those who just presume upon the grace of God. I've done so many good works. I, I, I come from this particular family. I go to this particular church. I can just presume upon the grace of God. All the ways men will just presume upon the mercy and in grace of God, they will just walk headlong into sin. I, it doesn't matter what I do. The Lord's going to forgive me. No, you're using the mercy of God at that time to use the blessings of God to sin against God in a greater and greater way. And you are building up over yourself a greater portion of the wrath of God. Lord is being merciful over you at this point and you're using it not to turn to the Lord, not to trust in the Lord, but rather to take the blessing the Lord gives to you and to sin against him even more. That is the sad state of sinful man. That is the sad state of sinful man that the Lord will give to him blessings and he is dead in his trespasses and sins and he will take those blessings merely to sin against the Lord even more. That's why we need Jesus. All of the solutions that our culture has for the great problems that are in this world don't deal with the real problem. Education is good, but it doesn't solve man's real problem. The benefits of money and finances are good things if used properly. But in the hands of sinful man, he will take those items and use them to sin against the Lord even more. Where are you? Are you in Christ? Have you been brought to life in Jesus Christ? Or are you dead in your trespasses and sins? This is what he says about us in verse 6. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We who were his enemies, we who were in an alliance against him, he has brought to life. He has adopted us. That is the message that we have. Adopted into the family of God. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Is that you, dear friends? Have you been saved? 
Continuing here to the very famous passage in the scriptures, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, not a result of work. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You're saved by grace and through faith, by trusting in Christ alone. And before you think it's, a, it's just saying a prayer after someone else, the Lord saves many people and repeating a prayer after someone else, I, I know that to be true. This is not a, a biblical concept. This is a very new and modern idea. But the question is not, did you repeat a prayer after someone else? Were you baptized in the middle of your youth group? Did you repeat a prayer during Sunday school or children's church? The question is, do you believe upon Christ Jesus Have you repented of your sins? Have you been saved? Have you been made alive? Do you have a new mindset? Are you a new person? Because this is what it says in verse 10. And this is even expanding the mercy of God. That he doesn't merely save us, that we can go to heaven. That's not the fullness of our salvation. The Lord sanctifies us. The Lord changes us. The Lord brings us from being in a state of spiritual deadness, accomplishing nothing, being good for nothing, benefiting no one. And he grants us spiritual life that we can walk in a newness of life. That is what Pastor Fry has been emphasizing in Sunday school. I pray that you've been listening to those, that you've been attending those. It has been an excellent study. And we see that here in verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. This is an evidence of your profession. Is that you, dear friends? Are you one who is merely given lip service to religion and there's nothing that follows after it in your life? You're one way at church and the rest of your life, you're a different way. That is a dead religion. That that is not Christianity. You are not saved because of your works, but because you are saved, you are going to work. You are going to be changed. Luther said it this way. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. The Lord saved you for good works. That was his intention. That was his purpose. The mercy that God has shown to us. Be merciful as God has been merciful to you. One more example. That we can't not read this. We can't can't think about. Be merciful as God has been merciful to you and not emphasize Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. It says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what he did. Do you understand what happened? The Lord Jesus Christ died on your behalf, dear Christian. The foolishness of man's religion, this idea, when this was the requirement, this, this was that which was necessary, that man and his religion will go through 
a series of religious actions. I said some prayers. I gave some money here. I went to church so many times. Why did Jesus need to come if that was sufficient? No, Paul continues there in verse 9 of Romans 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, it is through the blood of Christ. Christ did what was necessary. Christ took upon himself the wrath of God. Christ was obedient. This is what we call the passive obedience of Jesus. He took upon himself the wrath of God. And he was obedient to the law in every way. This law that we have talked about, that we violated, that we have not kept in our natural state. The Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to this. He earned the reward of perfect righteousness on your behalf. So we stand before the Lord, not because of our pedigree, our family, our church membership, our church attendance, our good deeds. No, we stand there before the Lord, wrapped in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, who has earned that for his people. And that's credited to you, dear friends, if it has been credited to you by grace and through faith. Not through your own works, not through your own efforts, by believing upon Jesus Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Jesus took that upon himself. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Active, impassive obedience of Jesus. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. been made right. All that was made wrong. All that was made wrong through the sin of Adam. All that was made wrong through the sin of man. All that is wrong through the sin in your lives. If you're in Christ, it has been made right. You have what Paul declares you have at the beginning of Romans 5. Peace with God. And If you have been granted peace with God, If he has shown his mercy and his kindness to you, not because of what you were going to give to him, not because of your inherent worth, not because you would would raise his standing or benefit him in some way, who can give to the Lord? What can you give to God that he doesn't already have? The Lord owns everything. Nothing but a grateful heart. Nothing but our worship and obedience. Because the Lord has done this, because the Lord has shown kindness to us, because he has shown love to us through the work of Jesus Christ, it is on that basis that we are to be merciful even as our Father has been merciful to us. This is the foundation of this. This is where we need to go back to. This is what we need to remind ourselves of at those times when this is difficult when this is painful, when, when an ethic like this is, is not easy for us to do, those are the times, dear friends, that it is most important, that it is most crucial, that it is most influential. Remembering this, that as we have said, the Lord will give an account, and there's nothing you're going to lose in this life for Christ that will not be rewarded to you many times over in glory.
Oh, church, that we would believe that, that we would trust in that, that we would cling to that promise, that we would find Jesus to be more beautiful than all that this world could ever grant to us.